This is the Post Shift Podcast, a raw look at the hospitality industry. What is happening, Post Shifters? Welcome back to another episode of the Post Shift Podcast. Um, this one is an interesting one. Like the next couple of Fridays are going to be very interesting because most of these episodes I actually taped about a couple of weeks before this whole pandemic sort of hit. And so I've been trying to go back like last week with Daniela to try and get a perspective post this interview. Um, this in, this uh, big, long podcast is actually uh, a State of the Union panel discussion between myself, Brent Porter from Veneto, Solomon Siegel from um, Pagliacci's, and Peter Zambri from Zambri's. Um, and this happened about five or six days before the lockdown started happening. And so... The thing that I want you to take away from this is this was this is a conversation we had about the state of the union of the restaurant industry in Victoria pre-COVID, and we discuss a lot of things that are broken in our industry before the pandemic. And so it is a long podcast, I know, but there's a ton of juicy things in there, really discussing about um, how everything's changing and how we need to change with it. And this is all before the pandemic hit. So this is really good information there, guys. Hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you very much for your support. I'll chat to you soon. Bye. If you haven't watched Post Show Podcast before or listened to Post Show Podcast before, um, it's my twice-weekly podcast about the industry. And so today I want to do sort of a uh, Victoria State of the Union restaurant scene from a couple of people um, that I hold up as uh, peers, especially everybody on the panel is all my peers. Um, So I'll let you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves. Uh, I'm Peter Zambri. I have a restaurant in Victoria called Zambri's. How long have you been in the game for? 20 years. Here? 20 years, yeah. It has to be longer than 20 years. 20 years. We just had our 20th anniversary on October the 18th. Zambri's been over for 20 years. 20 years, yeah. Congratulations. How long have you been uh, in the industry for? 11 years in one location and now just over nine in the other location. And how long have you been in the game for? Me personally? Yeah. We're going to get personal. On this You're one. exposing me here, hey? That's why I was like, I wasn't going to let you get away with saying 20 years for Zambri. So like, you're 30, much older than... About 35 years. So... Peter's old. <laughs> I'm Solomon Seal. Yeah, he is. He, he looks. He's got very nice shoes, and he looks better than me. So, uh, <laughs> not nearly as smart though. Beautiful shoes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not nearly as smart as you are. <laughs> but just you guys, just go a bit. Me and Peter are just gonna hug. We're gonna hug it out. We're gonna hug it out over here. This guy. This guy. Great. Yeah. I. I know. You, so Sean turned off my mic. I didn't turn off your mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. I, Saul, who are you? Hello. Oh, there. See? There we go. Oh, there you. Okay, there we go. Hi. My name's Solomon Siegel. Uh, I am uh, an owner and general manager of Pagliacci's uh, here in Victoria. We've been open since 1979. Oh. Uh, yeah. Holy. I know. You're I saying know. I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> it opened before I was born. Uh, I, I started behind the bar when, uh, you know, when I we came up to my dad's knee. And started doing shifts on my own. Uh, well, I started working in the re- restaurant industry when I was 12. And uh, been doing it ever since. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Come on, young uh, My name is Brant Porter. Oh, wow. Oh, there we go. You get you get where, was our, where was our round of yeah. applause? And I'm a young man trying his best. <laughs> You've been doing this for a fair while, though. Like, let's let's not let's. The reason why I wanted you on this panel is that 
you're in the same sort of boat as Soul, not in like age wise, but starting out in the game. Not landlord, but thank you. I appreciate that. Starting out in the game, and like you're the oldest young person, I think, in the industry right now. That's very nice. Thank you. Uh, I managed Veneto Bar Restaurante, which was uh, formerly uh, Veneto Tapa Lounge in the Hotel Rialto. Um, so uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before was my two year anniversary there, which is nice. That's quick. Um, I've been uh, I've been um, Put the in microphone closer to your mouth. I've been in restaurants since uh, I was eleven, oh, which wasn't it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally last year. Yeah, yeah, that's me. Where can you hear me? Um, my cousins Ek and A owned a Thai restaurant called Sabai Thai in Sydney and Langford. Uh, and my mom helped them open it and helped them manage it. And I was an only child in need of serious learning. So okay. they stuck me there. Mm. And so you're um, from here? I'm from here. Okay. I'm, I'm from Victoria. And so for me, like I don't actually usually get time to tell my backstory, but I've been in the industry for 22 years this year. Um, and in Victoria for 14 of those. Uh, I've been very lucky enough that I've gone from working at Moxie's to meeting people like Solomon and Peter and and hiring Brandt back in the day uh, when he was a little kid. Um, 20. You, you weren't that. Were you younger than that? 20? Probably just turned 20. Um, September. And as of the end of last year, I've opened 13 restaurants in six years. I ah. think is my record now. Wow. 13 restaurants in six years. How are they all doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. Oh. Oh, you're saying it. All right, everyone, grab my before I go down. You're saying it's hard. But really, with this, with this one, this this chat, I really wanted to make it about. I want to sort of start light and breezy, like most of my podcasts, where we talk about where the industry's come. Um, the good thing with. Soul being in the industry for as long as he has with Pagliacci's. He's seen the evolution from a 40-year-old family restaurant to now. Um, I think Pete's got some great insights on the big changes from Zambri's pre, like, the new space because it was very, very different. It was was a very big change. Much different. So, um, and then Brand gets a sort of look in because he's sort of even though he's younger, he gets a sort of ride in on the wave of cocktail culture. Because I think, to set the tone, like cocktail culture and restaurant culture, even 10, 11, 12 years ago, was not crazy. Like it wasn't the way it is now, the way people talk about Victoria's cocktail culture. Um, and I think I can speak more about cocktail culture than anything. Um, but from the time, so you've been like really tight with your father since like obviously day one. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wasn't sure about me for the first couple of years, yeah. uh, you know. But then, into you know, when, when I was around eight, you know, he started to you know it, warm, up to, you. warm up to me and include me in the inner circle. <laughs> but Pete, I think this question is for you. Like, how have you seen the restaurant industry change in the last twenty years? Because I think uh, when you re- when you opened Zambri's in the new space, Victoria's cocktail culture well, nine years ago was really starting to become mature and like starting to grow. But you went from this super rustic, I remember like wobbly stools at the bar, um, to like, which was awesome, to like this new space, new building, new everything. Have you seen the restaurant industry change in the last 20 years for the, the good stool or the bad? stabilized. 
it changed completely. Like 20 years ago, there was like just a small handful of, of quality restaurants. <clears throat> and, uh, and a lot of, you know, like mediocrity. And now, and I think the whole game has leveled up. Um, there's way better restaurants. It seems like they're, the clients know more. Like there was the whole, like within the last 20 years, there was this whole, you know, food network culture as well. Like people have just got into cooking, got into understanding restaurants, got into making better food at home. Like it's just this huge global phenomenon. And it's reflected here in Victoria as well. Like people just know more about food now. They're a little bit more concerned about their diet. Diets have changed. Like the whole thing from top to bottom is different than it was 20 years ago. Um, like you just name it from the amount of the demographic um, there's more people in, in Victoria in Victoria City there's more people there's more restaurants there's more seats there's better bartenders there's more bars there's like just across across the you know the plane there's just more of everything and I think not just with Victoria but even Vancouver like across Canada it's the same thing um, and I don't know. I, is it better or is it worse? I think that's kind of hard to say. Like, I, I personally, I think it's better. There's more places to go to with quality food and uh, a better, bigger variety to choose from. Uh, but I think uh, I think this is probably one for Seoul. Like, Pags was such a mainstay for like 20 years. I always call them pre-internet restaurants. Like, I think the internet changed <laughs> a lot of things, which we'll get into. But like. How has that changed the business model for like Pagliacci's, which meant 1979, which even 1979, like in the the early 2000s, it had been open for over 20 years already when things started to change, like what Pete's talking about, like the changes of diets and demos and stuff like that. Like how is it affected? How has it changed business? I shouldn't say affected because it means negative connotation, but like how it, has it changed business? Uh, first off, I think I should give some background to um, tonight. Uh, we, were a, we were having a, a drink at the bar before, and uh, I was sitting with these gentlemen here, and uh, there were some uh, lovely young ladies there who, um, who who brought up that he had a beautiful beard, Brant. I'm going to Brant for those listening. <laughs> and completely ignored my beard. And it's a great beard. So, thank you. But, but you know, I came in here, you know... Hmm? Oh, we're, we're getting some more beer at least. But then I tried to order a whiskey, and Sean wouldn't let me order a whiskey. And uh, so that's how this night's that. going so far. So I just want to, you know, <laughs> what was? Uh, but the question was about restaurants. Well, how has it changed in twenty years? Like Pags has been around for twenty years. Yeah. Um, how has it changed in twenty years? I, I think that you know there is the biggest change. I think is that there is something broken with the restaurant guest relationship. And I think the the internet change that you speak of, what really broke is that our guests used to come in with the mindset that they wanted to have a great time. And many of our guests still do. Um, and and, they, and that was it, right? And our job as the restaurateurs was to make sure that they had the most fantastic night of their lives. And if a guest was having a bad night, they'd be like, hey, 
my food's cold. And we go, oh my gosh, your food's cold. Let me fix that for you. Right. And that was the extent of the relationship. Uh, the, the culture of online reviews has given a lot of guests the impression that they're there to review the restaurant. And I think that is the, one of the biggest things I think is unfortunate because I think it interferes with the communicate. Beer. Uh, the communication. Yet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be burping if I had been drinking whiskey instead of beer. Um, the communication between uh, bet- between the guest and the restaurant has changed with a lot of guests because they they come in with the mindset that they're there to review the restaurant. And if if anybody is here who writes online reviews, listening out there, um, go ahead. But when but you're not a reviewer. That's very very important. Um, restaurant review. Skill? Yeah, restaurant reviewers are different. So when you come into any any restaurant, know that. Any good proprietor of that restaurant is there to make sure that you love your experience. And that's all they want. That truly is. Of course, they want to make money. But the way we get to make money, the way the, the wonderful thing about our industry is that we get to make money by bringing people joy. So if you're not having an incredible night, tell your server, tell the, tell the restaurant, call them up, let them fix it because they all want to. And I think that's probably to me the biggest change in restaurants is there's a lot of people who have lost track of what the purpose of going out it's is. It's no longer symbiotic. Well, do you think in some cases yeah. there's plenty of great guests, but you know, but that's but I think that there's a a, a confusion that's happening right now. Man, I was going to start this light and breezy, but this is uh, it's going <laughs> heavy straight away. But you, uh, if you let do you... me have whiskey; it would have been light and breezy. But... Yeah, that's coming later. Do you think, um, you know, with with this change of just like uh, here to have the wonderful night of my life, or here to you know judge the food? You know, are people going out more and like they're not saving our restaurants for a special occasion, but they're saving them for you know, I just need a bite to eat. Uh, and then people are being more casual with their food um, in the sense of like we're cooking less at home, we're eating at our restaurants more, but therefore we're being a little bit more skeptical of what we're having just because there's more like they're just digesting more. They're going to more restaurants. Do you think that might be part of it? Um, I like that Brand took over the podcast I, here. <laughs> um, I'm, you're, I'm, you're in charge I'm, now, Brand. No, we've, we've changed the lead. This is Brand's podcast now. <laughs> Uh, that's a I'll great question. You, well, no, 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 don't. No. The, the thing it's is, a it's, it's a great insight because the thing is, at the end of the day, is like I think I, I agree with like Saul and you. Is like at the end of the day, don't get me wrong. Reviewers suck. These people that like can come into your your livelihood and cut you down without like looking you in the with face. No experience to do that. That's they don't suck. Very well. No, no. They, I, no, I, I take issue with that because that's okay. if, if and if that's what the impression that I was saying, then I then I said no, it wrong. You, you're showing empathy because like you're you're trying. We're all people pleasers in the industry. Our main goal is please people. Yes, but there's been a confusion in the industry of what the purpose of going out to eat is, and I think that we as an industry have to have uh, bear the responsibility to get people in the right mode and 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 kind of drop some of the formality become a little bit more personable with our guests be a little bit remember that the people coming in are are not are there we call them guests not customers for very very good reason because they're not customers they're our friends they're our friends because you know what my dad taught me when i was a little kid of course they are friends they're they're putting food on your table so we can't it's it's easy to kind of go oh they're jerks, but it's not. 
it's not that they're jerks. It's the, it's the communication has, has broken down, and we start becoming more. I, I look at all my bad reviews, and and I really try and get when I see them. I just pretend that someone's written me an email, and I would try and respond to it like that because I, otherwise, I'll it will hurt. You're my more of a man than I am. Do you look well, at your reviews, Pete? I'm not allowed to read my reviews. <laughs> Are you not allowed to respond to the reviews? You've uh, hired great people respond, to Yeah, I don't respond to the um, reviews either. My general manager responds to them. How do you feel about the Because online? I'm Italian and my blood boils when we get a bad review, even though I, uh, even though it's brought up to me, right, secondhand, and it's just like, this is what this person said. What went wrong? How can we correct this? What do we need to do? Okay. And then we just go about making adjustments if it merits to make an adjustment because a lot of people point, point their finger at things that we've been doing for 20 years. Yeah. That's the way we've been doing it. If it doesn't sit well with them, I'm not going to change for one person because they didn't like what we do. Right? Like, I, I think our history speaks for itself. Do you think Food Network has a. The thing is, I, I always look at a lot of older bartenders who have been doing this for 40 years and they write articles about like how to treat customers and that sort of thing. But I'm like, you haven't worked behind the bar for 20 years, so you haven't had the app thrown in your face. Like, can you make this drink? From a bartender point of view, all like I saw this on Food Network, or even just the pictures, man. Yeah, people take pictures of me without asking. Oh, dude, come work at Pags for uh, a so day. Even when you have food, it, yeah. pictures of food posted yep. with with like non-professional like, uh, lighting, yeah. it's just it makes our our product it it looks look bad. Not totally, yeah, yeah. Diminishes its it's like we have people at Pags. I've worked at Pags on the floor, and it's literally like Instagram photos. Like I want this. Ah. Off Instagram. I'm like, okay, that's the shell game. No problems at all. I'll get you the shell game. Yeah. Or the salmon sang. No problems at all. But as an as an internet thing, it's like I I always say a lot of knowledge is a bad thing because it also can it sort of pushes that sort of agenda of over knowledge and over knowing about the food network stuff and how Giada cooks and that's how Italian is and so on and so forth. But the people knowing more about food has made the people who make food good like successful and so the fact that like when like people are obsessed with let's say fruit network yep. and they know how to cook for themselves they they, they know this they, they go to Zambri's and they're just like this is really good and they start to know why and they're able to speak that language you know and they and then the, I think restaurants are, like I, I do believe restaurant restaurant culture is growing because people understand like this is a big deal and there was a bit of that lost I think um, in part of the the 20th century we're just like cooking is important these people are are, are talented and hardworking, and and what it goes from that to the plate is the reason why you're going out and i really liked what you said solomon um just <laughs> it really is the brand podcast now it really is it's so it, much it's, better it's defi- than you it's you definitely po- it's definitely post shift podcast with brand porter uh, yeah. like, <laughs> sorry when you talk about the the whole guest thing like that's like literally what was busting in our brains because like uh john ken was a very good friend of mine and, and or not a friend of mine fuck uh, a good friend of the people that own that restaurant that i grew up in I, yeah he's like an uncle to me yeah, yeah and, he, and he is an uncle to me and like that was the rule just like no one leaves unhappy no one leaves like not full just like the people this is the thing but it's their responsibility to leave happy as well 
Yeah. Like if they uh, if they don't tell you if there's a problem, and that's where that symbiosis at, right comes on, from. Uh, uh, Right on time totally. and leave with a sour taste in their mouth. That's their issue, hundred percent. Right, because we are there to make it better for them. You ever, you ever, uh, you you make a drink for someone, and hey, how's the drink? It's fine. You're like, <laughs> like, what's up? Like, like, let's let, let's talk about. It. It's like, ah, uh, it's fine. Just like, well. You're paying fucking like fifteen think, bucks but, for this th- thing. Like it's like it's like the same as a plate of food. Like let's not talk about fine. Like how is it great? It's like oh well, it's too sour. It's just like done. Easy fix. No problem. Like literally whatever you want. Like do do not leave here unhappy. Yeah, and like don't fucking keep it to yourself. You're not gonna hurt my goddamn feelings. But we we have to realize that a lot of our guests are coming in kind of brainwashed. By um, again, not talking down, but the, but there's so much corporate culture now, where you know if you have a problem with with uh, you know your with Bell Mobility, there there's no one cares at Bell if you're happy or not. They truly don't care. They're an evil corporation. Bell sponsor. <laughs> they're they're you know they, no they 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 and they don't care right. But um but if you go and you post something if uh you know if if this gets this podcast big enough then Bell might call and and be and understand and ask me why I don't like them, right? But because they care about that. You got so, a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. No. But but my yeah. But the. But the but the squeaky wheel kind of thing, where I know that if I want to renegotiate my cell phone contract, I call up the cell phone company and go, "I'm very unhappy and I'm canceling and I'm going to another company." And I, if I don't say that, I'm not getting the real deal. Yep. They don't care anyway. They don't care. I have to say that, and it's in their script. If I don't say that I'm leaving and and react in a big enough way, then they can't give me the good deal. Right, and and that's where people, are, our guests, are coming in to our restaurants with the idea that they have to, that that nobody cares at the restaurant about them, that the server can't fix a problem, that the only way that they're going to get, and you know, that they, if they're going to send an email, it's going to go to some management office who doesn't care, that the only way to really get noticed is to go online and be and loud scream. about it and kick and scream. Yeah. And whereas, you know, the staff that I train, right, I go, nobody leaves unhappy. Mm -hmm. You run down the street and hand someone back their money before you let them leave unhappy. It's it's the worst thing that can happen to a business is to to have your advertisement, which is really the best advertisement, the only true advertisement is – your guests talking about you. Totally. I think I think what a mouth is why packs have been open for. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think thousand years. One thousand years. I think word of mouth gets undervalued and overvalued a lot of times. Like it gets like true, true word of mouth, person to person gets undervalued and social media word of mouth gets overvalued quite a lot. Yeah. But Yeah, but that's like across the board with everything these days. Yes. Not just restaurants. So makeup. Going back, oh, like any buy sell, the the whole game's changed. So going back, would and I mean, so we've had long conversations about this one. So this is gonna be a great question because we've had massive conversations about this. Sean's wrong. Just to get to the end of the conversation, <laughs> would you have opened a restaurant the way you did twenty years ago, forty years ago, the same way? 
my opinion is like if you open the pags today in the in the ecosystem we live in you would just get crucified online like tables too close like that's why i call it pre-internet restaurants like you you actually did in this sort of you created a brand based on organic growth through real person-to-person relationships well, I think you're answering your own question then. I wouldn't open the same restaurant as I did 20 years ago. It would have to be different. There would, there would be no choice. It would so be would different. So you, would you open Zambri's, for Zambri's Part 1, or would you open Zambri's Part 2? I would open Pagliacci's. <laughs> <laughs> Correct mundo. <laughs> uh. But Sol and I have chatted about this at length because, like, People complain about too big a portions. People complain about being in line. People complain about two tables close, close, too loud, too so on. And we, when we see, we talk about reviews and stuff, and then go game past, past that. Would, so, would, is this a question about the customer now? Well, so, because people well, are going to complain about everything anyway. It sounds more like, like, it sounds like <laughs> Solomon. Are you going to open up packs tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's kind of an impossible question, right? Because there's, um, you know, obviously I wasn't there at the beginning of opening uh, Pagliacci's, and I, I have to go by, um, you know, the stories that I that I heard, right? Right, and th- I mean, and there was there were Which certain were aspects that were a pretty different reality in the day, right? Which, um, you know, in Victoria, nobody had a functional espresso machine. <laughs> Nobody made cooked cheesecake. Nobody could serve alcohol on Sundays, right? <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, nobody nobody had live music, right? So and and uh, and the Mint was a great, great example of that because when the Mint first opened, where we're sitting right now, um, they were the only license in Victoria that was allowed to serve a drink every Sunday between midnight and two a.m. Which so, was a completely fuck up at the city council. Someone in the city council. Fucked up the food primary sign off on that one. Yeah. So if you yeah, wanted no, to drink did, in Victoria, because I work next door, between for two hours a week, this was the only room in Victoria where you can get it. And there used to be a lineup out front of people getting in, and then the VIP lineup out back. And the people, in the, I don't think one person ever got in in the lineup out front. Uh, and 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 Pagliacci's had that for Sundays when we in in 1979 like there was nobody else and then we had live music and we had food that had spice in it other which at the time meant garlic um you know we were it was an ethnic black place. pepper black pepper and garlic right you know it was this it was this crazy insane thing right and and it was you know so the the food in victoria was really bad at that point like the the restaurant that had been in the space of Pagliacci's was before was serving like old people stale white bread cucumber sandwiches, right? There was nothing was made fresh. There was nothing. There was no flavor going on. There was really nothing going on. And then and then you know my dad and uh, my uncle and and uh, the Di Fiori family opened up Pagliacci's and um, you know the Di Fiori brought, family brought over like a bunch of uh, you know uh, traditional Italian recipes that we started with. My my dad, you know, I think influenced a lot of the his like love of the kind of New York style eatery. They brought in live music and all that excitement. And the tables weren't close together immediately. The Best tables got close together because they got busy and they kept on adding tables because they wanted people to have a seat. 
right? So, so it's there was a very organic part of Pagliacci's that started out. And if you look at old menus, you'll see one or two dishes that were there. But it was a lot of trying to figure out what the guests wanted and what worked and keep doing what worked and, and change what didn't. And we, and we try and still do that. So I guess in some ways I would open up that again because I would still open up a place that tries to ride the wave of what's working and throw away what doesn't work. I think that's really hard, though. It's very hard. I think I think more now than ever. It just and we talk about this a lot when we when we look at restaurants that we look up to, um, they open with like a focus and it's like razor sharp. Like here's what we're gonna do. Here's how we're gonna do it. We have we have spent this many R and D hours to make sure that we are gonna give this product and this is why. And it feels like those restaurants sometimes are more successful than ones like. Uh, like packs where it's just like we're going to open up a restaurant because we believe in this and this food and we believe in the fact that this space is open and we'd like to own a restaurant and then and then working through experience and movement and change and being able to kind of fuck it up a couple of times or like be like but the thing okay. is it's based on the why versus the how you're right. talking about restaurants opening because of the how not because of the why right and the why is more important what made you open Zambri's I had nothing better to do with my life. <laughs> no, but no, let's 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 get serious. Really honest. Like, like what? I came. I, Why not? I, was, I was living in Italy, and I came back specifically to open that restaurant. I I think I think okay, you know, no one's allowed to swear anymore. Uh, Sadie's just walked uh, in the room. <laughs> my daughter's here now. Yeah. Someone wanted to yeah. come see dad. Oh, awesome. Or, yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why, you know, Peter's being, you know, coy and cautious, but one of the reasons why he, he opened his restaurant, why uh, my family opened a restaurant, is because we want to make a living. And I, I think one thing that's easy to forget. Also, because yeah. I didn't, I no don't kidding. know how to do anything else. Yeah, because we want to, we want to be able, you, you know, we want to be I able to afford to buy have food. I've never done anything else. And we want to, you know, and we want to, you know, buy our kids you know, fancy jackets and, and plastic toys that That's we spend too much olives. And olives, yeah, to keep our children happy. But, you know, that that's that's so critical to... And it's not... And I, I think sometimes your Gentile culture uh, kind of looks down a little bit upon the, the desire to, to make a living and to make money. Yeah. But it's a good thing because... If more restaurateurs looked at their guests and went, these people are going to make me money. Well, I have to be good to these people. I have to keep them in here. I have to keep them happy. That's why, you know, I grew up with a dad who would chase guests down the street if they were unhappy and bring them back in because he, he didn't want to let that go. That was he wanted to make a living for his family. And, and that's ultimately the reason why we're doing it and it almost seems like a dirty thing we're supposed to say it's about uh, so the culture or the craft or the art form or some higher calling but there's nothing negative about wanting to make money in the hospitality industry in fact it's, it's a just wonderful to way to make it's very hard to do but it's a wonderful way to make money you get like you know Italian culture Jewish culture you know the, the, there's a a basic thing of like when you love people you feed them that's Absolutely. how you express love to people is by putting food in front of them and making sure they eat. I it. can't deny that at all. Yeah, it's true. So we we get to make our money by feeding people, by giving the, our cultural expression of love 
Sounds like you're conning someone when you put it that way. Yeah. You're just you know, like, you're going to pay me for this? We could be writing parking tickets. <laughs> <laughs> we could be writing parking tickets. Well, could, could, so, I could be. I, I, well, you know, I, so I'm numerous enough that I made. <laughs> for, yeah. for someone who I thought was going to be the most vocal person on my panel tonight, you're actually the quietest. For me? Yeah. Oh, I've got nothing to say. Yeah. <laughs> But how do you, you like, say. let's let's get back to, like, how do you, you be bounce? yourself, Because the great thing is, is that I know Solomon, like, post-taking over Pags, and I know Solomon when he has Solomons, so I have all the horror stories and all the, the, the stories from Solomons back in the day, and when he talks about passion and verse money and stuff, we've done seminars on this whole thing. How do you balance off, looking back, how do you always balance, because you're a super passionate person. I think your your real thing is your happy place where you're just making like food in the kitchen and not really worried about ticket times or anything like that. Like, how do you balance that off? How do you balance your passion? Well, I am worried about ticket times. It's the most important thing for me. One hundred really ticket absolutely. times. So you, it, yeah, absolutely get it people their food. Yeah. So passion and ticket times. Quickly. Passion yeah, first, ticket times. Forget the money. But you know what? For me, is like I'm I'm already I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Things that have gone in that that have already happened. Like if there's a problem, we rectify it and it's done with. Like what's going on to, with tomorrow? What's coming in tomorrow? Who's going to be here tomorrow? Right. That's kind of like how I just keep happy and keep my focus. I don't worry about the past. I worry about like what's right now and how we're going to be tomorrow. That's basically that's just all I do. That's good segue. So talking about that, like, what what do you feel in the next five to ten years are going to be the biggest issues in the restaurant industry? Well, I know we've already got some massive issues now, and we talked about like a few people that hung out before. Food security. Okay. Food security. That's probably the biggest issue. Things are like, like, what is it? There used to be two hundred and fifty different <clears throat> varieties of apples, and like now there's ten. Stuff like that, right? How you can get your food local. Like, I'm a big proponent of trying to use as much local product as I can. Like, let's face it, I have to make a, an omelet with peppers in the wintertime, and they come from either Mexico or California or wherever. Yeah. Um, but in the summertime, like, most of my products are is local. And I think that's, that's where most people are going to move towards, even larger restaurants. Do you think that's going to be a slow progression where people start now start thinking about doing like I think everybody everybody already is has do you think it's everybody though most yeah well it's in most people's minds whether or not they proceed in that direction is well I think it's I think again it goes it goes a little bit back to the internet and social media and stuff like Like, of course it's in everybody's minds but people are still going to buy bananas every single week well we have to so like well, no, but they're, they're not overly thinking about where the food's coming from. They're still going to market on Yates and picking up X, Y, Z, and like people, it's not people on the island. People are far more conscious than they've ever been about their eating habits. But word of me, mouth. But for me, it's going back to is that just the little bubble that we live in? It does, or like one hundred percent, like, like yes. o- overall, like, like is that just because yes. everything? Like, we, like, let's face it. The fact is, is that it's still a small demographic of people that actually get it. We're a small demographic of a small demographic, frankly. We but I live, think, we uh, live in, in Canada, everything, small population. Uh, the social media algor- algorithms play towards what we search for and what we look up and what we read. 
Yeah. So we get all this great things about cocktail culture, about wine culture, about food culture, all this sort of shit. It all comes like bursting through our, our iPhones when we're going to bed at night. But really on the macro, if you go to the grocery store, are people actually like picking the organic stuff? Are people actually going, when you're at the, the local liquor store, are people actually like picking up bottles of like local Amaro and BC spirits and like that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Or are people still walking out with Lucky and freaking Mickey's of, sorry, I'm swearing with the kid, um, with Mickey's of vodka and Lucky in the room. Sorry, Sadie. I'd, I'd like to take a moment at this uh, time to thank our sponsor, Soylent Green. <laughs> Soylent Green, it's people. But I'm just curious. Like, well, I, Peter, I think Peter's correct. Are you not keeping cooking people yet? What do you do with the dishwashers when you're done with them? <laughs> <laughs> they get no. They get sent up to bags. Um, <laughs> D- dishwashers are a whole different breed. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we'll turn off the mics and talk about dishwashers. So we're, we're talking yeah. about we're talking about food sovereignty, um, and I think a lot of the issues that we're seeing in the the, the hospitality industry, whether it be living wage which is increasing aggressively quite a lot every year in uh, BC that's the reckoning MSP you miss what? MSP MSP which is no longer now we have the employee health tax which is yeah. which, which, which is you guys really, pay for that it's, yeah it's very huge, much Im- impacted small restaurants because restaurants have uh, larger payrolls than similar size businesses in other sectors yeah this is like oh great MSP disappeared like no I'm just paying for it for you. Well, I, I think that that's one of the, the biggest confusions out there for guests too. That that's a very difficult thing for restaurateurs to try and communicate. Um, that the the high costs of running a restaurant um, it, it's 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 extremely challenging, right? Because we've all seen the complaints of being too expensive. Yes, and we all look at our prices and we go, "Geez, you know." I, I, I got to raise it by, you know, 50 cents here because I got to be able to make a living. And and most restaurants, most good restaurants, if you have a 10% profit margin, that means if, if for every $10 you make $1 of actual profit, you're running a, a well-run restaurant. You know, that's – and there's and there's there's plenty of restaurants that are doing far worse than that. And, and I think that that is one of these huge communication challenges, especially when there's a lot of corporate restaurants who – bulk buy the worst quality products to feed to their guests and cut corners wherever they can and where small restaurants you know we where I, I think we would we, we just can't do that it would like hurt our souls to like you know we're even if nobody you know even if our guests don't say anything about the type of pasta we buy we need to buy the right pasta that we feel good serving we need to buy the cheese that we feel proud to serve you know, and and uh, and then the big corporate ones—they're buying the cheapest cheese and the cheapest pastas, and you might not recognize it as a guest, but that's why they can kind of get away with their the pricing the way they do it at twelve percent. Yeah, or fifteen. Yeah, and they're making they're making better percentages on that pricing. Too. So outside of the food, so outside the food sovereignty, sort of like I think food sovereignty is definitely a uh, a higher level sort of issue that we have to deal with. Like talking, to, talking, coming down to food costs and stuff like that. Like, food costs is not getting any cheaper. Never at all. It continues to increase. But you can't, you can't raise your prices to match that, or there's like, or people don't come back. In the last six years, our food costs has gone up 
that we've allowed to go up on like purposely about seven or eight percent um, from what it was, you know, like eight years ago because we're not going to stop the quality. We're not going to cut quality. We're not going to cut portions, but we can't raise the prices as quickly as food costs are going up. So our, we're, we're just keep eating those costs and, and dealing with sm- slimmer margins. Pete? Same. <laughs> it's the news. Okay, but on the on the flip Same side, from an employee standpoint, like Brant, you're one of the younger generation. Like, 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 luckily, we're a little bit older. We've got a little bit more money in the bank sometimes, and partners For and so on and so sure, forth. Sure, my dude. But uh, <laughs> from a from a, and I'm sure that um, Solomon and Pete will be able to like touch on this when it comes to yeah. labor shortage and stuff like that. But like from your guys' point of view, what is stopping? younger people get in the hospitality industry when it comes to the cost of living in Victoria just Victoria I think uh, I think entry level positions in hospitality don't pay very well and I mean they can't like I like I don't have a particular solution to that but like, I don't think entry level uh, positions pay enough for people in this city to live more or less, um, and it, that depends on on restaurant to restaurant. But it, it, it's it's starting to feel that way, and moreover, <laughs> I don't know. It it's uh, restaurants have gone a bad rap for a little bit, you know, and it's it's worrisome. You know, the 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 the, the world's more connected, and and when you when you make a choice to your young person where am I going to work when, how am I going to make my way when I'm going to university or I'm just trying to do a thing and just like well I heard so and so got like fucking yelled at for dropping something I'm not going to work there yeah you know or or whatever it may be so I think I think the the restaurant industry is coming to terms with it's not becoming the wild wild west that it was of like yeah we'll maybe we'll small because tips are good and you get to like live your nightlife and all your fantasies will come true because you work at a restaurant oh uh, Pete's like Pete's, Pete's itching to t- say something right now not really I think you're correct it's like it's yeah. like it's a lifestyle it's a cool. lifestyle choice to work in a restaurant and I, I think that's it's the definitely thing. not, not um, um, the money game that it was once totally. when rents were cheaper food was cheaper wage was cheaper everything was less expensive mm-hmm. and the owner and proprietor just made better money it's, yeah. and it just doesn't happen like that anymore no it doesn't well I think uh, in Victoria especially I talk to my wife about it all the time about moving to Vancouver and stuff I think in Victoria especially over Vancouver like I, they say Vancouver is really expensive but I think Victoria, how much money you can actually make taps out way quicker than what you can make in Vancouver, but the cost of living is as high in in Victoria as it's very Vancouver. similar. If you like, but you can't make as much money. No, of course, it's way worse here. <laughs> and I think the it, it is a passion thing, but again, going back to what Sol and I were chatting about, passion versus money and stuff. Like we've talked about this on a number of occasions. Like passion can only get you so far. Passion doesn't get young people in the door to do these jobs like passion comes later passion passion comes with like you know hey getting you in getting you started and passion comes like you're a bus you're, you're, you're a bus for 18 months no I want I want to be a bus for 6 months and I want to be a head server by 12 totally 
Mm. And you're like, well, no, that doesn't happen. It's just like, well, I can get this construction job. Get paid 36 an hour. You know, I have a break time. I have this time. I have that. You know, I always have my weekends. If I don't have my weekend, I get paid 64, you know. So it's it's hard. It always feels like we are we are behind the gun with these sort of things. Is that Shirley Temple? Oh, nice. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> my podcast has gone off the rails. Brand's hosting. I have a kid on the panel with a Shirley Temple. This is not post shit podcast. That looks really good. The thing is, the thing is that with, with Sadie is that she's got more restaurant experience than most of the people I know. <laughs> uh, we, we, were, we were cooking dinner together the other night, and she so she started playing uh, she started playing uh, restaurant while we were cooking dinner. And for Sadie, what uh, I'm, what playing restaurant looks like is she goes. I'm like, oh, how's it going? She's like, my server's an hour late. One of my cooks didn't show up. <laughs> The food's taking too long. I'm like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to lock the customers in <laughs> so they can't get out until we feed them. Give them more bread. Give them, give more, them bread. more bread and, like, yeah. try, crank the music. Let's give Sadie a microphone. Or, yeah. 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 You want to say anything? No. So I do want to get to a Q&A session. Oh, one, one other, okay. though. One other good Sadie story, because yeah. she's here. Is uh, So we were in a uh, we were in a, a local restaurant uh, having dinner together, but really early. So, there, like, it was too early for the restaurant to be busy. Well, maybe. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We, John wants some other stuff once, too. So we're sitting there. We're sitting there in the restaurant. It, so it hasn't picked up for dinner yet. It's slow. There's maybe, you know, a couple other tables. And she looks over and goes, Dad. And I go, what is it? I'm like, look over there. I'm like, what, what am I looking at? There's one person sitting at a table for four. You have to do something. <laughs> and she the was like, guy is yeah, she was like, she, she understood. She was like, move them. Get them. We, uh, yeah. She, yeah. So, you know, if, if all the, it was actually Peter Zambri. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's, let's. Let's go to a personal level because I want to actually talk way. I want to talk about way more stuff than this because we didn't even touch on cocktail culture in Victoria because that was a, a big one for me. But that's completely out of sorts now. Um, you always cut me short. Hey, you always cut me short. You don't want to hear the truth, Sean. You don't want to hear what I have to say. The truth. I was just about to give you props for the reason that we have cocktail culture in Victoria. Is you. And that's okay, on, go that's on. on camera here. That's on a live feed here that your dad's probably live feeding and watching at the same time and on tape. So my, my father just for another before the show mishap. My dad, I I thought when Sean said live that he we, this was going to be a live broadcast thing. It is a live broadcast. Well, it is. You now. guys are all here. <laughs> it's live. Yeah. Peter's just left. Peter's he didn't Peter's gone. Yeah. Bye, Peter. Thanks for stopping by. I was literally about to start tying it off, Pete, but now I have to wait for you to come back and pee. Don't have you to pee as yeah. well, Pete. forget about me. Right, but, well, Peter Zambri so has left the building. So three of us here, we can do a quick story about cocktail culture in Victoria. Don't interrupt me. No promises. So, Solomon opened up Solomon's in 2008. 2008, Solomon opened up Solomon's. It was the cocktail bar in Victoria. The very first one. I took over Clive's in 2009. And the big one I want to talk about, because I just got a, something this last week, but it's only been 10 years since we took over Clive's. So it's only been 11 years since. Oh, uh, you got something. Uh, he is. Um, <laughs> Lifetime Achievement Award. That means you need to die this year. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Congratulations, Son. Thank you, buddy. You deserve it. Um, but we we look we talk about Costco, and we're, we're very lucky in Victoria now that we have this sort of very vibrant going back to food culture and wine culture and Costco. We're not lucky. Victoria. You guys made it. No, we are lucky because the thing is, is it takes perseverance and patience and a lot of like downs and ups and that sort of thing. Like I laugh when I talk to youngsters who work at Clive's now and say, so you guys haven't acquired night yet? Yeah, so quiet. I'm like, well, when I first took over Clive's, the first 18 months on a Saturday night, I ring out $120 with just me on the floor and walk with $25 in my pocket. And I did that for 18 months straight. And they're like, excuse me, what? And that was Clive's for the first 18 months. And... Solomon's wasn't much better. There was some really great nights, but it was nice when I'd walk in there. It was just me and Sol on a Sunday. There was one night when that was literally at the entire night. <laughs> it was just me and Sol. It may have been the most depressing night of my life. And it was it was me and you. It was me and you. How was that I depressing? Know. <laughs> so it was me and Sol, and we like Sol had picked up all these books from Cocktail Kingdom. We were like, what's your Martinez? We were literally, yeah, we were literally geeking out hard. Like we were going through old cocktail books and like just like figuring out old recipes and stuff. But the cocktail culture now is so vibrant, and so many everybody who's here is sort of really lucky enough to be able to experience that. Excuse me, sorry, this is a private event. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think you're looking for the table in the back. The staff party in the back. I think that's you. <laughs> so on a, I want to, I want to tie this off because I want to do Q and A. But like uh, on a personal level, uh, I'm going to start with you, Brank, because you're the youngest. Thanks. On a personal level, what is how do you feel about the next two years? And I think it's personal and career wise. Like, how do you feel about the next two years being in Victoria? Oh God. The the uh, like, what are the? How do you see it transpiring? Oh man, I don't know. I like that's. I think you're kind of silly to put yourself in a place where you're like, here are my next two years. I thought you were calling me silly, and I was just like, excuse me, dude, it's my fucking podcast. You've taken over the whole fucking thing. It's, it's my podcast. It's, Brad's it's a podcast. podcast. <laughs> it's silly. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just figure it out. It's fine. Can we, can we have a vote to see whose podcast? I think it's it, hands up. It was his Brand's podcast. It's, <laughs> hey, it's Brand's podcast now. <laughs> Sorry, Sean. Fuck you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, let's, thank you. Let's, let's, so can you, um, can I, you hug Sean for me? Oh, sorry, no, sorry no, Sadie. No, no. No, no. <laughs> no please, just, okay. We'll, just, we'll, we'll hug. Okay, yeah. thank no, you. No, just yeah. give me a two-year introspective look. So I, I, I think Peter said very well, he's just like, I'm not looking back, I'm always kind of looking forward, but also, like, I, I think you're kind of just, like, looking at, like, day-to-day. What I hope, when I think about Victoria and cocktail culture, is that I hope we start to integrate, you know, um our general kind of like population clientele. I think cocktails are kind of this like weird, cool, bougie thing. And they, you know, they, they cost a lot of money and they're like, they're this like fine dining sort of thing. And I, I really, I, I, I see it more and more. And I look at places like the Drake where it's just like, there's like a bunch of young people having pints of beer. Like three AM. You, you want to be, you want to make the pie bigger. They don't know. They, they, they wouldn't do that. What was that? There's no 3 a.m. though, right? Oh, sorry, 3 p.m., sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, 3 a.m. would be really great. Um, but but I think what needs to happen is uh, more accessibility um, for all of this, and, it, and, and, and that's going to make the pie bigger. And, and that's where I see that going. Um, and I, and I, 
one thing that was really cool and uh, Solomon did it and you did it was just like no no more co- cosmopolitans like can't juice cranberry we're not going to do cosmos anymore and then Solo said no to olives the oh, devil's wait. testicles and you're wrong <laughs> And you're oh, you haven't heard this story? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we're gonna we're gonna on, do, on, we're gonna do bloopers right. after this. Yeah. There's so many great stories. So so <laughs> you know, no cosmos for like two or three years, and then people just drink more and more cocktails, and then it's just like, do you want a cosmo? I, absolutely. Like, I'd love to make you a cosmo because you're asking for a cocktail, not a beer or not a wine. And then so like we're able to do it. It's 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 easier. Uh, espresso, same thing happened. Cafe Fantasco opened up, and they're like espresso. Hey, do you have tea? No, leave. <laughs> espresso, and then now they they have an enterprise, and so that's kind of that's happening with cocktails, and like that also has happened with food, and now things are being more inclusive, and that that's what I want to see. But I also think we have to always go back to zero. We have to go back to the very beginning and like educate more clientele coming up on how we should do it. Which is easy because because clientele are checked in. That's that's an easy part, you know. And and a lot of problems is that they're too checked in. They know too much, and so you can't you can't go to the table and lie anymore. You've got to. <laughs> when did you do that to start with? <laughs> and this industry is eighty percent bullshit, twenty percent yeah. skill. Pete, come right? on. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, like you, all that we're getting is is um, you know the need for better trained staff and and better restaurants and and better products and better things because people have more knowledge and knowledge is power. I'd like to clarify something. <laughs> oh <laughs> no, the well, devil's testicles. Well, no, the, well I you know, and I, I love all of them. Okay, let me let me preface this one. Let me let me preface this one. In the start of any culture, I think there's always going to be someone who puts their foot down and is like, no, this is the way we should be doing it. And Sasha Petrescu in New York did it. Um, a lot of people and have you done were, You were right to do it. And, and but, no, I have, Saul, I have, but I have a career because you did that. But Saul also started and, it as and, well. And as like, did too. There's a certain point where you're like, this is not ingrained as great customer service. You, you have to always preface it the fact that you always want to give a customer what they want. No, sorry. You don't give a customer what they want. You always give a customer what they need. And they may not need, they think, that they may want a cosmopolitan, but they really should try a Clover Club or an aviation or these, like, cocktails that you're trying to push. And that sort of, it starts the seed. And I always look back at Clive's and Souls to a degree. And there was plenty of times where, in my route of trying to be a people pleaser and trying to keep everybody happy, you'd go home going, oh, I just should have done that better. And I banned cranberry juice at Clive's, like, for a long time. Fuck cranberry juice. No. No cranberry juice. Because um, if we couldn't get proper cranberry juice, you don't get a Cosmo. My Cosmopolitans, by the way, are fucking gangster. I make the fucking best Cosmos ever. But I remember Jeffrey Morgan calling you out. On my the, aviation? For, no, for the Cosmo. Yeah, fuck him. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day... What do you have to clarify? But... I think he's getting there. But at the end of the day, I always look back and it's like, if you can have an aviation at the marina, if you can have an aviation, at, there's always going to be someone who's going to be the root, who people like pick on, think they're an arsehole and that sort of thing. And I'm, I've always been okay with that moniker. It took me a long time to be okay with that. But there's always a point where you're like, you know what? If you have the opportunity, some actually has a cool cocktail as an aviation or a Clover Club, it's something like that. I think... 
while food is a little bit different, Pete did it with certain pastas. Like, you have to do this pasta this way because this is the traditional way of doing pasta. You should try this first. If you don't like it, you're never going to win over everybody. Ooh. Is there is there an example, Peter, of a, no, of, no, a, no, no, a no, of a dish no, that... Don't do Peter. <laughs> Solomon's got his mic ready. I, I was... I just wanted to... So, what I did, to be specific, was um, what everybody does, which is to choose certain products that you're going to stock and certain products you're not going to stock. And... If you base your there's there's a there's kind of a, a bias that happens in restaurants where someone comes in and goes uh, do you have Budweiser and you go oh, I don't have Budweiser and they go wow well, okay well that's a drag so then you go and get Budweiser and the next day they go uh, do you have Coors and they're like oh I don't have Coors and then you go oh, okay now you got Coors and like oh do you have Labatt's and pretty soon you've stocked all the completely pedestrian beers that everyone knows the name of and you have no interesting beers. So your menu is just like everybody else's and you have nothing unique about it. You have to be careful to to not do that when you're building a menu because you can't have every product under the sun. So I made a conscious attempt to stock different products to, for the menu and I never said no to a cocktail that I could do but I just couldn't do certain cocktails because I didn't stock certain products I didn't I didn't have olives in any in any in any cocktail so I didn't stock bar olives right sorry and, and I didn't go to and, and I mean and obviously there and, and and there's that and to be fair there was a, a certain amount of uh, evangelical that's in me about about cocktails and martinis and stuff where where I you know I discovered the truth of how to make a great martini and I want to spread that to the world to a certain extent so there certainly was that part of it and I think that there always is going to have to be a push and a pull in any sort of culture where we get to the point where you know there's a where there's restaurants that are going there's no salt on the table and we refuse to give you ketchup and and to that level and then and then you and then you inevitably are going to have the pushback to the other side where people are like yeah of course there's salt on the table you want ketchup on your pasta sure have ketchup on your pasta it's not my food anymore who See, cares this is the one right? great thing is that this is soul's like should code version of his world solomon's and then I remember it way differently. <laughs> so Souls is like, doo, 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 and then mine's like, rah! <laughs> and can I feel you, like mine's more. Can you explain that again, please? Say <laughs> <laughs> so that one more time. No, say that one more time. Yeah. Souls is, doo, 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 doo. <laughs> and then my version's, rah! Get up on the bar and kick everybody out at nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I never kicked anybody out. Are you sure I, about that? I, the, the, the liquor board came in because I didn't kick him out at 3 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> I waited for a drink for an hour once. Put him on the table. Oh. Oh, uh, so nice did I. see him. Been um, waiting all night for that. <laughs> I take back everything I said about your nice shoes. So I loved, I loved your place. Yeah, thank you. You, you were my Great best shoes. customer. So Pete, for the next two, three years, yeah, because yeah, so Pete, you waited. For the next two, three years for you. What's next? Maintain. Just maintain. Keep going. Keep going forward. Yeah, there you go. Right. Just honestly, like keep. I wasn't expecting this from you. This you've said the most prolific things today. Huh? Really? Yes. 
I think I have a few surprises up my sleeve. No, I honestly like. You'll, I mean, you'll I, see. Everybody's gonna. I do have a few surprises up my sleeve that everybody's going to. No, even for to, me, to like see. I talk about all the time, like you're like not remembering tomorrow and just pushing forward to net tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Like forgetting about yesterday, what happened yesterday. Um, it's a. I think it's a really hard thing for hospitality people to do because I think ingrained deep down, regardless of the bravado, the egos, the obnoxiousness, everything like that, like we're people pleasers deep down inside. So when we read reviews or get a bad comment or anything like that, it really hurts us deep down inside because we don't get in this industry and we talk about money and all this, but it really is passion and it's about the the incessant need to please absolutely every single person that comes through our door. We want to treat everybody like our very best friend and give them the best experience ever. So when anything sort of goes sideways it always just like gut punches us. Like, you know, like you see those like memes. Oh, I see it every day. Hey, you see it every day. We all see it every day. There's like, there's issues and problems that go on every single day. It's the way that you deal with them. That separates like the men and the boys. But was this a, was this a girls and the, the ladies, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the people and the older people. Uh, Yes, exactly. (laughs) Thank you for being so politically correct. But was this? Was, this can't be a new thing. This can't be an old thing for you. This is not people in the box like, of that's people. What you do that's, that's be whatever they what want. You do. You just have you always been this way? You, yeah, of course. Sure. No, but really, like, let's be sure legit. I have. Well, I flip out and, and get upset and pull my hair out and and ran and, and, and stab my feet on the floor and you have a couple of calls to bed. You wake up the next morning, you ready to rock and roll, ready to go. Every day, ready to go. Wake up, ready to go. Next day, what's going Michael, on? I wish you could be like you. But yeah, man. Your feet hurt if you stomp too much. What's and that? Your feet hurt if you stomp too much. No, you, man. You, you, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you, you'll find a way to stomp less, on. right? What's that? He's got beautiful shoes on. He does great. <laughs> oh, you know, you walk in and you walk into the day, no matter what time, five in the morning or eight o'clock, whenever your kind of shift starts, sure. with this bright, really like outlook and you're going to make everything as good as you possibly can and then a lot of times you go to bed you go you finish the night and you're like oh shit that was horrible <laughs> and then or, the next morning oops. you wake up and you do it all again it was funny uh, I want a Peter Zambri soundtrack in my head I want I want to wake up every morning with like Sunshine, slowly drops and rainbows and everything, and I want to wake up like that. It's uh, I'm not kidding you. I'm not a Norwegian death metal band in my head when when I wake up. (laughs) When is the first? You you mentioned uh, you you went to a bar in uh, Napa. This is my podcast, dude. Fuck off. We voted. It's not your podcast anymore. It's not your podcast. Brandon's the captain now. I am the captain now. Oh, and and you like mentioned that you had a bartender that like sort of sucked and. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's and it's like when you you know I I always wonder like was that bartender invested in the property or was he just like was he just like a uh, like a guy who like clocked in and out because I know me having different um, roles and like different concerns that sometimes when I'm across the bar I just I'm not my best because I'm always looking at the lighting or I'm looking at the music or I'm just like worried about like what's happening outside of the cops or you know what's going on plumbing downstairs and so I always make sure that I am like counterparted with someone like Mike or like one of our team members whether it's, it's Raven or it's uh, Carrots or it's, it's whomever who is just like this is your golden shining angel like they like they will they will help you I'm going to 
go scream in the walk-in for 20 minutes because I have other things to worry about. And so I know you as an operator and owner just like screaming in the walk-in sometimes because you're we're like, I thought we figured this out. I thought we figured out whatever Every it was. Every day. What happened? Every day. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like that's – you do your best to not make that front-facing. Yeah. Well, one of the things is, I mean, being as this this is a, a bartending podcast, sure. At, you know, at at its core, and I think the thing that attracted me most to bartending probably is um, is that it really is front of house. You're an actor, right? 100%. And it doesn't mean that being an actor doesn't mean you're being fake. It means that you're playing a role that you're putting on your stage makeup. That like, regardless of what's going on in your life. Your job is to go out there and spread joy and happiness and and give and and be the center of the party and keep it going, right? Yeah, you know, like yeah, it's it's time to shine, right? And and being a bartender, you 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 have a little bit of the the chef thing in you where you're like you're working with your hands and you have to create and do stuff, but you have to keep up the facade of of being on stage the whole time. I you earlier you mentioned about taking pictures, and I was going to be like, I didn't get it at the time, but I'm like. You, that's part of the gig. It's, oh, it you're, sure you're is. You're goofy at Disneyland, man. Yeah. yeah. Or you're, you're short. Maybe you'd be Minnie Mouse. I don't know. But I, uh, I'd for sure be Minnie. He's definitely yeah. Mouse. Yeah. yeah. But but you're Come but that's on, part man. of the gig is that is that there you know you're you're on stage right so you have to you have to remember that and absolutely go scream in the walk in and that's your time when you get to go behind the stage and go and let it all out and then you go back out on the floor and when you're on the floor you need to be on stage and you just smile and look at people and and tell them that you're having a great night because you are yeah because you're at work I've had I, I works great I've had moments where I've been at this restaurants and been loving my experience being so happy and then you know then you see like the boss or something mm. and the boss and then you look over the boss and you're like eh, who's who maybe you know and you're like hey how are you and they're like and, the, and then you're like oh and you're like well okay. fuck thanks pal like <laughs> it was your job I'm here to have a great time, actually. So just, you know, later we'll have a beer and you can tell me how rough your life is. But if, if we're not going to go, if we're not going to leave somewhere and have a beer together, then you need to be, you need to have your stage makeup on and be happy and make sure that your guests are getting the experience. They're, they're paid for a show. Which is funny because you show. work at a restaurant called Pagliacci's. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Put on your clown makeup. Yeah. <laughs> Beat your drum. Yeah. And then half an hour later, you see Solomon crying upstairs and stuff. Crying upstairs. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the that's the, the that's the joke, the right? Where the uh, the guy goes to the doctor and he just goes, "I'm I'm so miserable. I I can't. You know, my life is just horrible, and I'm so unhappy." And says, "Well, what you have to go to the great clown Pagliacci's in town. You you got to go see the great clown. He'll cheer everybody up, and he'll make you happy again." And the doctor goes, "But doctor, I am Pagliacci." <laughs> And on that note, do yeah. we have any questions from the crowd? <laughs> Literally anything at this stage, because Brant will answer anything. He's had he's had three drinks, so he'll. I've had three full drinks. He's had three full drinks yeah, in the last eight drinks. hours. Yeah. So, Brant, is it question session? I'm I'm not sure. If Sean has no, the authority no, to. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. Would you guys like anything to drink? No, I'm no. Brant's good. Um, <laughs> do you have Bushmills? Yeah. But yeah, we'll no, no. <laughs> no. Well, I'll have I, mean, a I, I like that. Yeah, we do. Look at <laughs> Alex. No, we don't. Solomon, Solomon, you wanted a whiskey. Yeah. What do you? Well, I want a Bushmills now. We're not. We're not. We're not. We're not. We're not, we're not 
<laughs> but honestly, any questions that you guys have? Like a Jameson's or something? Anything? Uh, a single needs for the... For the yeah, thanks. No, no, Nathan's got a question. Oh, oh no. no, Camille's got a question. Yeah. Um, Camille Iverson, Beneteau Bar Restaurante. How do you think cocktail culture is going to change in the next five years? In Victoria specifically. I really hope you do because I'm I I basically um, make my living around like these sort of predictions that you give. So, so I think in Victoria we've we're very fortunate. I think we have a great saturation point in Victoria. So, I talk a lot about uh, the slice of the pie. So, how big the pie is getting. Um, I think back in the day when Solomon took over Vanto and I was still at Clive's, there was two great cocktail bars. And then a little jumbo open. There was three good cocktail bars. And then Olo. Then Cafe Mexico. And I'm not naming just the places I've opened, but like... <laughs> but but how, much bigger, how much bigger has the pie got? So when I did FCW... Um, rest in peace. Um, when I did FCW... Okay. See you soon. Good night, Katie. Um, the big thing for me is that we always need to remember to take cl- like customer education back to zero and I think that's the real key is that uh, after my months in Singapore last year and seeing their culture um, Victoria's always been big on the fact that for every dollars that we spend on uh, industry education we spend three cents on general public education and that is why we are lucky enough to have people sit at our bars and like go geeky cocktails and come down to the mint and go Swans has Negronis on tap that sell this is a, a testament to the the groundwork that all cocktail bartenders have done to build the education and clientele. We can all be great bartenders and great industry people, but unless we have a consumer that can actually consume what we're doing, it doesn't mean dilly squat. And it goes back to Sol- what we did at Solomon's, what we did at Clive's, and really like that inch by inch education, bit by bit by bit by bit, to build up our clientele. And I think we we need to keep remembering that every time we do an industry seminar with a great brand ambassador, we should be doing a general public seminar the exact same way as we did at Clive's. 100%. Again. Because then, because the thing is that we built a big pie out with Veneto, Clive's, Solomon's before it shut, that sort of thing. We built a decent sized pie. But the thing is we need to keep building that pie. Because you've got smaller and smaller portions that we can draw from that. Like people who love tequila and mezcal, go to Cafe Mexico. Um, people who like local spirits, go to Olo. People who like the late night, and Alex is becoming very local centric here too, come to Mint. And so we, but we, how do we keep building on that clientele and keep building it? Like everybody raves about Singapore, and I love Singapore. I'd live there if I was single. But I would say 0.5% of the market actually gets cocktails. Which is scary when there's 5.5 million people in the country. Everybody's saying Singapore is the new cocktail capital of the world, but only 0.5 of the market actually gets what they're doing. That's a scary scenario to be in because the bubble's going to burst, and then where does everybody sit? So, in the next five years, I think the cocktail culture in Victoria really needs to like pull back to their roots and understand the people who drink what we want to, we want them to drink, 
not like not what they need to like sorry we give them what they need to drink not what they want to drink so we need to start educating our clientele on what we need to drink again fuck are you talking about (laughs) you're right I I have a request for the next five years Uh, just with um, you know there's so many really talented amazing bartenders coming up but those bartenders I just really hope that they take their time, spend time learning classic cocktails, spend time learning balancing classic cocktails, and and knowing your product, and not rush forward into making amazing 15-ingredient drinks, uh, because I'm bored of the 15-ingredient drinks, and I just want to go somewhere where you can serve me a really well-made martini. I just want a sidecar. Yeah, yeah, but also exactly. I think it goes back to just patience. Like yeah. Solomon's, if if Solomon's w- was eighteen months ahead of the curve, honestly, if Solomon's had opened up in two thousand ten, it would still be open today. Like it was, you were way well be- ahead of the curve. Well, ahead of the curve. But there's always someone. Like, yeah, I, I know. Brand. But there's always someone ahead of the curve. <laughs> Thanks. But luckily enough, like to be really honest, like Clive's only succeeded because we had hotel budget. Souls was standalone, independent. If I didn't have hotel budget, I probably would have failed. Clive Clive succeeded because of the passion that you put behind the bar. That's true. And I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. I'm telling you the truth. Which is is great. But the thing is, at the end of the day, is like if Souls existed like six, 12 months after Clive's opened, it would still be open today. It is still. Or if I I had the capacity to work as hard as you do. Um, but this thing is that patience, I'm a human. I think patience is the big yeah. one too, right? Is patience? You have to you have to be patient. You have to continue to be patient. I go back to the eighteen months of Clive's and Saul sat at the bar on a Saturday night when we were fucking empty, yeah. and he would be my tip for the night, not the tip, a tip. I don't um, recall ever tipping you. <laughs> so, I think patience yeah, and the grind is the big thing for the next five years. Patience and grind. Anyone else? Well, Nadia, you have a question. That's not a question. I just, I'm really happy to be learning from this side of it. Oh, God. Hi, Nadia. Just, um... Closer, local, closer to the mic. Local lover of the cocktail scene and everything that you guys are doing. And I just want to speak to that point because as someone who loves the cocktail but wants to learn more... I really appreciate having these sorts of sessions and having the industry sessions that happen um, and having people who are not necessarily behind the bar welcome to learn those things. Because like you said, Brent, earlier, it's it does mean that when I come in, I'm like, okay, this is what a Gin Ramos is supposed to be because I learned about it. Fucking Ramos. <laughs> I was talking to Mike about a Gin Ramos. I was oh, like, one day hey. when you're ready, can I come in and don't hate me for because I just want to have a really good one. And so there are places I know that I will go to do that. So uh, we we've, we he brought up a couple of times because I'm a, a fair bit younger than uh, the rest of the team. But I learned about cocktail culture through the internet. Um, and I was working in restaurants and I was offered to like be the bartender cause I turned 19. Now that, that was really exciting for me. Uh, the owner of the restaurant, my cousin, a still the coolest guy I've ever met in my life. I don't think that's ever going to change. Fuck you. 
You run a podcast. I'm just going to get paid royalties now. Yeah. <laughs> we spoke about royalties. Um, and and he like he made me this cocktail for the whole gang and he made it in like a deli cup which is like this is I call this sexy time and it's like vodka like or like a raspberry vodka and lychee liqueur and sourpuss and all this sort of stuff and I'm like oh my god not only does this taste great but also just like look look at the attention you're getting like this like you're the star of the show this is wonderful what's like, the sexy time on the next Vanatoy menu it's alright it's alright coming we're bringing back sourpuss coming yeah <laughs> we're bringing it back baby we're bringing it back but and then, uh, well, then I d- dug deep and I found like uh, videos online and it's just like oh the Sazerac and so I went to Clyde's and I asked for a Sazerac and everyone was kind of surprised and they were like yeah yeah Sazerac and then that that was literally the moment where my career began and it was like the space for me to be able to say hey I want to try something new and and Sean and Nate being like here's something new here's a place to be comfortable and now it's whatever it was seven years later I have a career we're continuing to build culture we're like we're creating other jobs for other people and it just came from the ability to kind of say yes I think it's I, I think it's I think it's wonderful and so for you to say Mike just make your Ramos and he's like, yeah, no problem. I want to make you a Ramos. And, I, and, and Saul would say the same thing. She's like, yeah, I'm going to make you a Jack Rose. He's like, yeah, fuck. No, like, no problem. I'm going to make you the tuxedo number two. Or what? Or like, and then all of these things build up to a bigger culture. And yeah. I just don't think we ever should forget that end of the culture. And I think it's always building out the baseline and making the baseline longer. I think good bartenders uh, will should ultimately be more excited about making you a great Sazerac than than anything. You know, like it's you know that's that's more like that's how I, I think when you come to yeah. the bar and go like, hey, make me a Sazerac. You know, the, the appropriate response like, bartender. Yeah, yes, yeah. I really want to make you a Sazerac. Yeah, I'm more excited for the Sazerac order than the. Just, just, sure. just yeah. giving up. I'll, uh, I'll just I'll, walking I'll, I'll away. Send, yeah, send, I'll put the USB in the <laughs> mail. I thought you had more fight in you, Sean. I thought you had more fight. Yeah. Now that Sean's gone. Now that now that Sean's gone, we've taken over the podcast. Um, I, I I thought that was like because you mentioned this guy in Napa, and I just I like I know that feeling of going to a bar and and like sorry, Napa guy, you're you're looking at us. He's on this live stream. Oh. And, yeah, and he probably, like, hi. Yeah. It was just like, yeah, your bar decorum sucked, and it wasn't fun going to your bar. But I also, like, part of me is just, like, when, when someone comes to the bar and it's just, like, maybe the most interesting, cool thing ever, I'm just like, have you had a Sazerac before? <laughs> like, or, like, like uh, Peter, do you have, like a like, an Italian staple that, like, is that for you? Like, is like a very small amount of ingredients and it's still like the best thing you've ever put Probably in your mouth? Probably the spaghetti. The spaghetti that I spaghetti do. Spaghetti and meatballs? With like, yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, yeah, spaghetti with chili peppers and oil. 
and butter, and that's it. Or tagliatelle with sage butter, that one as well. Like, it can't be more simple. Sage, butter, salt, pepper, tiny little bit of broth, and and the pasta. Right? Like, it's like making a martini in a way. Yeah. Like, how many ingredients does a martini have? I mean, two to three. There you go. Maybe four if you include ice to stir it. Which, isn't ice like our heat exactly. in the kitchen? I, I, I believe I think I learned that from Solomon, actually. Yeah. 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 I have a question for Peter. No. If someone came in and asked for spaghetti and meatballs, I'd, I'll do it for them. You do it for them, okay? Yeah, of course. Okay. I'm just interested. Hey, he right. may, it's if he more, can make a cosmopolitan, yeah, you can make spaghetti and meatballs, right? I always remember. As long as, as long as you got meatballs, yeah, I got them all the time. Yeah, right. I have them I, all the time. You got to make yeah. your clients happy. I remember. That's, the, that's like they ask for that. You have to have it on the on the menu. We we mentioned we mentioned profit. Yeah. Make my, meatballs. My dad always tells the story. Pizza. <laughs> it was the first night he opened up Pagliacci's. He was the only person on the floor. He's he's sitting there, you know, with his father, uh, sitting in the this restaurant. This is my dad. Yeah. It was like the first night of opening up Pagliacci's. Nobody's in the restaurant, right? Completely empty. He's sitting there, the only person on the floor, you know, with his dad, with his dad there, sitting, waiting on him. And, you know, party eight came into the restaurant. And like you go to zero to eight, right? You're like, oh, uh, we, uh. we just made, we've made the night, <laughs> right? This is it, right? And they came in and they went, do you have spaghetti and meatballs? And he went, no, I'm sorry. Really? And his father looked at him and the people walked out. Um, and, his, and his father, my grandfather looked at him going, how could you not have spaghetti and meatballs? <laughs> and, and it was because, like, it was it was this moment of like because people like at in 1979 that was Italian food, regardless of if it's it not still Italian. Is. Food. It is in people's minds, right? But you never have it in Italy, right? You never have it that way. In, in, yes, you do. You do polpette. Yeah, with 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 spaghetti noodle, sure. noodles. Of course I've always understood that as being a, a as is. a yeah as something is. you don't have together. But it's, guess what? It's gone back there now. <laughs> it's gone back there. Oh, it made full circle. I'm not kidding. Okay. You. Oh wow, that's there's a there was a little place in Rome right outside the train station that I went to. I'm like, okay, I'll go here, and it was packed. It was lunchtime. It was, yeah, it was packed with business people in suits and whatnot. And I kid you not. Everybody was having the same thing. Just plate and plate. Guess plate what they were this. having? Really? Well, that's guess amazing. what they were having. No, well, this this perfect. I mean, it, it bookends into the I'm conversation kidding, about yeah. about having like um, about having cosmopolitan. Or you know what I did? America has influenced a lot of people. Yeah, America, uh, North America. That's but it, North but things America. come full circle that way. USA. Yeah. USA. When I, when um when uh, Catalano was open and I was the head bartender there, I kind of went polar right, opposite yeah. with the with the olive thing. At that point, and when you ordered a martini, you got a choice of three different types of olives. <laughs> like, and, and it was you, like there was a whole you, martini you. service with like, uh, and they were served. They weren't in the drink. They were always on the side, so they didn't interfere with the drink. And like, so you had three yeah. different styles of devil's martini. Were, none of them were in the, the martini, though. None of them were in the martini oh, ever. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Seriously, uh, man. Why? One Why? Castle Ventrano <laughs> in a bottom of the martini. Balances the drink. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. I think you're wrong. It needs acidity. Vermouth and olives go really well. I think my favorite martini is the one that you know what goes at FTW with a olive 
that was stuffed with an anchovy and oh, blue cheese. I like that one where you threw in ham sandwich. What was it called? It was, called? It was called the. Um, it was like the ultimate dirty martini. What was it called? So I fuck. What? So- <laughs> it was so bad. It was good. It was so dirty. It was the dirtiest thing ever. No, it was like an oil slick on, oh, yeah. on the top of it. Yeah. I yeah. Loved it. Well, yeah. since the question came up and that people asked me to talk about the martini. Uh, <laughs> I don't think yeah, anybody the, in the room yeah, should talk yeah, about the yeah. martini. No one cares yeah. anymore. Talk about the okay. martini. Um, okay. You know what goes great together? Bordeaux and steak. Right? Go yeah. wonderful. Of course. Yeah. So uh, next time next time you come in, to, in, I'll chop up the steak and put it in your glass of wine. Is it still a good idea? Just because things go well together doesn't mean you need to put mix them. Right, so mart- olives are great next to a martini, but the martini itself is a very, very delicate drink. It's it's a, a delicate balance of of the of gin and vermouth with orange bitters. Just before and, you keep continue with this, Cody, can you leave the room? I just feel like anything he says right now, you're just going to take wholeheartedly to it. This is and, the gospel and truth. Hearing about complaints from Alex about yeah. you saying you don't get olives in your martini. <laughs> You pig, get out of here! No, and, and a touch of a touch of uh, of the city is important, which is why it's so critical that uh, that the lemon zest happen on top of martini. And if that doesn't happen, like the drink is is ruined. It's not well, no. There's but it's it, there should be enough acidity in your vermouth if your vermouth is not stale, and you should be using enough vermouth that it should balance. On that note. Uh, Squamalt Vermouth just released a dry vermouth. Oh, that's exciting. And it's freaking unreal. I can't wait. Yes. Yeah, and on that good. note, can I take my podcast back? <laughs> like, no, I we think... voted. No. <laughs> well, now, do you wash your glass with <laughs> no. vermouth before you make... Before you no. Make... No, no. Why? Uh, okay, no, there, okay, stop. Is that... Is that... Like no, I need to know. It's it okay. This is an off. This is an off mic thing. No, no. When a glass comes out of the dish, don't try and when a glass me. is sitting there and it it develops the smell and the flavor of the room. So I we we, I, we as in the guys who pioneered to do this, like every bar uh, that makes cocktail bar cocktail bars cocktail bars cocktail um, bars they have like the Belgian uh, beer sprays and so like typically you would rinse out that glass before you put it in so you have a clean glass so or have a previously it, frozen glass yeah or, which was that rinsed smells like the fridge well your your freezer shouldn't be having a bar freezer it shouldn't have funky stuff in it because it's only glass it will still smell like freezer if you are not careful but it should smell only like the freezer not the the fucking meat or the cheese or whatever. Um, and yeah, there's two ounces of gin. I love Sean. He's just sitting there. He's just like, hey, 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 when's it my turn? To- Sean's, what's your, what's your martini spec? Ounce and a half of gin, three quarters of an ounce of vermouth. Ounce and a half of gin? Yeah. You're two che- one. You're cheating people that. out, man. Two one. What? I taught him that. Two one. You do an ounce and a half of gin. Yeah. Yep. Three quarters of an ounce of vermouth. Small coop. Nice wash, not nice wash line. All you kids in these small coops okay. in the fucking high wash lines. Are you fucking? The martini me? is a very delicate. Drink. Look, Nathan, it's Nathan's martini agreeing with me. Is a very Two high wash lines in those small coops, right, Nathan? Huh? So yeah, you have, you have a five and a half ounce glass. Okay, you do two ounces of gin and a half ounce of remove, and right. you get up to about uh, five about ounces. ounces. That's, that's bang one. On. That's one to four. Yeah. We do it. Yeah, no, you're wrong. No, I'm not. <laughs> 
Yeah, you are. Oh, I um, love this. So, okay. <laughs> I love so it. The, Come on. The, small, the small amount of gin is, is important because if you, like, go back and look at uh, some old movies, like, go look, watch The Thin Man. I'm yeah, definitely cutting this into two podcasts. I'm literally going to do a podcast just on the martini. Don't you And everybody me. arguing. And then Don't you the podcast, me. everything else we've been talking about. <laughs> Okay, so going back to uh, Casablanca, the reason the reason why the reason why a two to one the reason why two to one works is that it's not old school heavy on the vermouth line the gin, and it's not new school heavy on the gin line the vermouth. Wait, so you, it's right so in the middle. You, so you said uh, one and a half to three quarter. Yeah. So uh, what's two to one? Yeah, no two to one. Uh, but what's the size of the drink? Manhattan's the same. No, no, Manhattan is two ounces of fucking whiskey and one of that. That's or, a big or, drink. Or it is a big drink. Uh, yeah. Usually what we do at the bar is actually I, I want... And how tall is your wash line? Uh, it's just below the top. Just below... That's not a wash line. That's to the top. No, just below the top. That's not... No, a wash line should be below. That's how spills happen. Thank you. And that's how we get ants. That's how people get pregnant. That's how we get ants. That's how we get ants. <laughs> Um, you want I think, amps? Yeah, 50 mils and 25 mils. I'll talk about that. Like that, that Which is the same thing. No, it's... it's it, ounce it, and a half, three and a quarters is... No, it's, it's, that's, that's five mils less. It's 10 whole mils. That's two teaspoons hey, less liquor. Hey, something no fuck, amazing for happened. For fucking You're $13. You're two teaspoons less than Get a man. Something amazing just <laughs> happened, guys. Hey, th- it's something just amazing happened. This is the first time in my entire career I've been bored by a conversation about bartending. <laughs> Okay, on that note, we need to we need to tie this off. Firstly, seeing that when yeah, he says I'm that, tie it off. Charging that much for an ounce of gin. <laughs> okay, the drink is supposed to be small because you're supposed to have many of them. And seeing that when he gets bored with conversations, we've had fights in New Orleans and other places where people have walked away from us and stopped talking to us for the night. I understand the how they feel now. Pretend like that's like not a regular occurrence. It, it happens all the time. <laughs> like, uh, thank you everybody for coming. Uh, I really appreciate this. This was a nice live podcast that we streamed. Which makes no sense at all. Yeah. Um, what is the difference between live and streaming live? Dude, we go to concerts together. You know what the difference between live and streaming live is. I'm glad you streamed it. Well, is yeah, Saturday Night Live dead. not Saturday Night Live <laughs> unless you go to the studio? Next time. Thanks, Shifters. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, if you're listening, whatever platform you're on, give me a good rating, subscribe, listen along. Uh, I'm going to keep going. I really enjoy sitting down with people and learning where they're from, what they did, and how they got to where they were. So if you love it, give me a good five stars. If you don't, give me one and I'll try harder.